Welcome to the Corporate Treasury 101 podcast. This is the full episode of our payments journey series on credit cards. Corporate Treasury also is about managing and optimizing payments and how to receive payments from others. This series aims at breaking down exactly that, the most common payment instruments used in the market. In this episode, expect to learn what actually are credit cards and the differences with debit cards. How card payment networks such as Visa and MasterCard work, how banks really make money with credit cards and, spoiler alert, interest are only a very small portion of it. The implication of credit cards usage for corporate treasury departments and much more. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate us in your favorite podcast app. This helps us a lot and it literally only takes 2.5 seconds at the maximum. We also released an ebook. We have gathered all our learnings from more than 70 episodes and put them into a book with, of course, some exclusive content and even a small surprise. If you'd like to discover it, head to the link in the description to download the ebook. And the best part is, it is completely free. With all that being said, let's get on with the show. Absolutely riveted to continue our payment journey, uh, as you say, to as you're taking us through um, the different types of payments, right? So we've already talked about cash in terms of paper banknotes. Mm-hmm. Um, that was super interesting for me. Anyway, uh, I opened my eyes a lot to uh, the implications of cash. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, then we talked about checks, the quote-unquote boomer technology, right? <laughs> uh, as we like to talk Indeed. about it. Um, and that was, that was really interesting. Uh, up and coming. The process. Indeed. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> but uh, the Trojan horse of bank cards, which is what we're going to talk about today, right? Yeah. So we uh, are going to talk about credit and debit cards, you told me, uh, before yes. we start recording. So, I mean, I think I know what they are, but yeah, can you just explain to us what do you mean by like debit cards, for example? Absolutely. So the idea here is, again, is to break down those two products. Obviously, most of people will know about it. But then what's going to be interesting is that we're going to walk through how does the payment networks work exactly, like how uh, are the transactions cleared? That's a term we uh, we tackle in the checks episodes, uh, how the whole thing works in the background, and then the application for corporate treasurers. But let's start indeed with the basic definitions of it and how do they work, the different types of it. I suggest we start with the debit card. So, like, shocker, uh, this is a piece of plastic. Oh, now it can be in metal, actually. That is directly yeah, linked say. to... Indeed, and it's quite it's quite fancy. It's cool, um, the idea. But, bon, the, the difference is not that big. Uh, so, it's a piece of plastic uh, that is directly linked to uh, one's bank account. And whenever that person pays something uh, with the debit card, the money is directly withdrawn from the bank account uh, it is linked to in the coming hours or days, sometimes it takes a little bit of time. So we talked about the paper-based instruments in previous episodes, as you mentioned, and cards obviously present the advantage of eliminating the need for those uh, paper-based instruments, so cash and checks. However, um, there also comes with some limitations, and one of them is uh, the daily debit limits that is usually attached to it, which means you can hardly proceed with uh, very large purchases. 
Last but not least, debit cards allow you to withdraw cash at the ATMs, uh, sometimes for a small fee, but that means if certain places doesn't accept payments by card, you always have the alternative of going to an ATM, withdraw cash, and go back to the usage of this based instrument. Okay, so more or less what I thought it was, it's um, you. It's a card that allows you to spend what you have in your account. Exactly. Only. Yeah. Correct? Sorry. Seems straightforward. Move on to credit cards. What's what's a credit card in your in your definition? So here it is rather similar, uh, but with one major difference. So when somebody uses a debit card, the user gets the corresponding amount withdrawn directly from his bank account, right? With a credit card, however, this is not the case. With a credit card, always comes a credit limit, and every time a person purchases something, the corresponding amount is taken out of the total amount of the credit limit available, but not directly withdrawn from the bank account. Okay, so this time you're not spending your money, you're spending a limit. Exactly. Right, from a limit, from a, a limit that you're offered. So what what amount does this typically go up to, these limits? So you indeed tap into a credit limit and the amount can vary uh, depending on each cardholder, obviously, but most of the time it comes down to the credit risk of a person. Okay, credit risk means what? Some, what does that mean, credit risk? So credit risk, um, I think we very quickly tackle it in the one of our old episodes, because it's been already eight months that we are producing this podcast. But so I think we talked about it very quickly in, um, in one of the first episodes, and it's the likelihood that a counterparty doesn't repay the money lended to him or her. And yeah, well, the credit risk is based on several criteria. The first one is, how much money do you earn compared to the money you use every month to repay your debt? So the debt to income ratio. Making regular on-time payments, avoiding late payments when you use a credit card, for instance, uh, and keeping credit utilization under your credit limits um, are also ways of showing you do not present a big credit risk. So it's overall, how likely is it that you're going to repay your debts? And depending on that, well, banks and financial institutions will be more or less willing to give you a big amount of credit limit, like a big loan or a rather small one. And with this would also come the interest you pay out of this credit limit. Okay, so it's the risk that the bank feels you are. Precisely, as an individual. Yeah, that's it. Okay. And so that's over a certain period uh, for which you have to repay, of course. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Um, that's at least that's how my, yeah. No, precisely. So those periods can also vary, like the amounts. Um, a common one we, we can take the example of one month, for instance, like thirty days. Um, so you can make your expenses uh, over thirty days, and you have, let's say, to say something, you have three thousand dollars um of credit limits over the period of one month. So all you can use with that credit card is. um, and you can make your your payments. And at the end of this period, well, the the period amount will reset. You will have to pay back the money you borrowed from this credit limit. But those periods can also be longer depending on your credit risk and the different offers of your credit cards, uh, up to three months, for instance, or much more or a little bit less, depending on the credit card you're using and your credit risk. So one thing you haven't talked about yet, Guillaume, is interest rates, because uh, we've talked about interest rates so many times in this podcast. We, we, I think our listeners know it very, very well. At least I do. From the moment we've talked about it. Also, so interest rate is uh, the cost of lending or borrowing money, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so 
and when we did an episode where we went into how those are set and everything like that, you need to pay interest on the amount that you borrow, correct? And even on Absolutely. credit cards. Exactly. So this is why, um, and you may start to to feel like it, Osam, we're going to spend much more time on credit cards than debits, because debits, it's it's rather straightforward, as you, as you highlighted. With credit cards come um, a whole bunch of prerequisites and different things embedded to it. And it, the interest uh, is one of the major things. So usually with a credit limit comes interest. That's almost always the case. And since your bank or financial institution is giving you an advance of, on money, like literally you can pay for stuff, but it's not directly taken out of your bank account. The bank or the financial institution linked to your credit card is making you an advance, right? So you will eventually need to repay that amount at the end of the period, as we just highlighted. And credit cards usually comes with that, with an interest rate, and actually a higher one than for consumer loans, for instance. But it's much more flexible, obviously. It's a consumer loan. So consumer loan means a loan to an individual for personal expenditure. And by this, I mean... so. A consumer loan uh, will not include a home mortgage, for instance, or like a small business or a small farm loan. These are all specific loans, right? You also have the specific loans for a car, for instance, like an affected credit, we say. Those are specific loans for specific purposes, and usually they come with specific terms of which cheaper than a consumer loan. With a consumer loan, you can basically say, okay, I'm borrowing this amount of money and I can buy anything I want out of it. And the particularity is that there is no real collateral out of it. Like the bank will lend you, I don't know, let's say $10,000 and you will be able to do whatever you want out of it, like going on a trip or paying for your wedding whatsoever. Whereas if you buy a house with a loan, well, the bank can take this house as a collateral. Like, okay, well, I'm lending you the money for sure, but if you do not repay it, I'm going to seize your home, your house and sell it back to like repay myself. Since you don't have this on consumer loans, um, the interest rates are usually higher because the risk is higher coming back to this credit risk we just mentioned. Yeah, so a consumer loan is is a loan that someone takes out which um, isn't necessarily tied to anything specific purpose, right? So exactly. again, a credit card is a consumer loan because you just kind of get given the money, whereas a mortgage would be specific because it's tied to a specific purpose, right? They give you the money to buy the house. Uh, car Spot finance on. loan is they give you the money to buy the car and they pay back, etc. Exactly. And how's the credit? Is the credit limit? How does that compare? Like, what what's the relationship between consumer loans and specific loans and and credit cards and yeah. all that linked to credit limits? Like, can you summarize all that for me? Absolutely. No. So that's a, that's a good one. So both consumer loans and credit limits embedded to credit cards. Um, I use for what we call personal expenses, right? So they are comparable in the usage, let's say. The difference is the credit limit coming with a credit card is open-ended, we say. So once we paid at the end of the period that we just mentioned, 30 days or three months, the borrower can use the, that credit limit again and repay it again and this endlessly, or at least for a very long period. This is what we call a revolving credit facility because of its revolving cycle. A consumer loan typically needs to be repaid over time. So like over the course of the different months, every month you're going to pay part of the capital plus the interest. And at the end of the repayment schedule, the credit limit, the loan is repaid and you cannot use that money again. 
Once the capital is fully reimbursed, there is no possibility of reuse. It's not the case with the credit cards. At the end of the period, you will pay back what you owe between buckets, what you expensed during the period. But then this credit limit is made available again, revolving cycle. So we made the comparison to it because the usage is the same. It's for personal expenses. But one is open-ended, let's say, and the other one has to be repaid over time with an end period. Okay, so it's like credit cards are ongoing. Every month you, you refresh your limit. That's basically exactly. it, right? Whereas once you pay off your house, they don't give you automatically more money to buy a second house. You have to go and apply for a new one, I'd say. Exactly. That's a, a much easier and straightforward way of explaining it. It's a lot to say. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, indeed. Now, I've always been flashed with ads that talk about interest rate-free periods, mm -hmm. right? Um, yeah. So what, what, what does that mean? It means that you don't pay interest for a certain period of time or, or what's it? This is becoming uh, a, this, by the way, this is becoming a very personal uh, credit <laughs> financy episode. I hope we're getting to the part where this applies to corporates soon. Absolutely. But this Absolutely. is great financial advice for me. I'm learning a lot more about <laughs> what kind but of credit cards and what kind of loans I need to get. <laughs> Absolutely. So we're going to get to it, but indeed, actually, we are talking more about loans than actual credit cards right now. But that's that's great. And it's I think it helps us to also understand the whole environment that is built around those credit cards and how does the whole process work, right? And not just focus on one thing. And it's also easier because we link it to personal usage, but then we're going to see the implication for corporate treasurers, the overall network, how does those things like in the nitty gritty details. But it's great to start with, okay, this is really how it works and I can link it with something I know. Um, but we're going to get to it. Um, I promise you that. So, okay. so interest-free interest periods. Yes. The interest-free period is like, this will obviously depend um, on different criteria. But typically, certain cards, certain credit cards come with what we call a credit-free period, like a grace period. This means you have a certain period before the usage of the credit card actually starts to cost you money. Uh, typically on my credit cards, again, to link it back to something uh, individual, um, if I repay on time every month, so at the end of my 30 days period, this is completely interest-free. So I will not pay anything on the cash advance my bank is making me. But the usable amount is also not big. So this comes with a drawback. If we talk about bigger amounts or if I do not repay on time, then interest rate starts to apply and, as we mentioned, quite some high interest rate. And this will be the case typically when you either have a good credit risk rating or in certain parts of the world. For instance, in Europe, it's harder to get credit cards with interest, interest rates kicking in right from the beginning of the usage. You always have a grace period because that helps people manage better their personal finances. Mm -hmm. Okay, very clear. Okay. Um, one thing I was surprised by by our checks episode, game was that how many different types of checks there are, where I thought it was very basic. You just have a check and then we start mm -hmm. going into like cashier's checks and traveler's checks and et cetera, et cetera. But is the same thing? Is Am I going to get surprised by how many types of debit and credit cards there are as well? I hope you will be positively surprised, Sam. So right now, <laughs> let's stick to the individual fund. When we're going to get into the, the corporate treasury details, we're going to see that there is indeed different types of credit cards a company can make issue for its employees. But so here, let's start with uh, with simple examples. Credit, uh, debit card, sorry. Here, it's rather straightforward. The main difference is the limit you can spend with your cards. And other than that, it's just choosing a card provider over another. We'll come to it later in this episode, but you typically aim at having a debit card accepted in as many shops and places as possible, right? What you want to do is being able to pay by card and not transport any cash 
or checks. So this comes down to the payment network used and what each merchant is affiliated with. So the types of credit cards typically come down to Visa debit card, to name one big uh, card processor and provider that we all know, or MasterCard debit card. Some countries might have some more local specific payment networks and therefore debit cards, um, and some that comes to my mind right now are Maestro, for instance, or uh, for our beloved Belgium, Bank Contact. This is again another type. So, I mean, so it's not necessarily different types of debit cards. These are different card providers and card networks, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Because and you uh, you got me right here. Actually, there are not that many, uh, there are not different types of credit cards. So the only thing we can take out of different types of credit cards is just the provider. So yeah, you, you got me here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so very good. But okay, but maybe that's significant. So uh, we'll get to that. So the debit cards, okay. you said you mentioned those ones there. But I guess it's the same for credit cards, right? You also have Visa and Maestro's and MasterCard do debit credit cards as well, right? Is that is it the same differences? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and these are the basically the major credit card providers are the same. We have Visa and Mastercard. Not saying that those are the only ones, but let's say the most widely used in the world. Um, the two other common ones that we can mention are Discover and um, a very renowned one for our US listeners, friends, American Express. So, especially for Visa and Mastercard, though, uh, their cards are issued typically to individuals by banks, credit unions, or other financial institutions. Visa and MasterCard do not directly enter into contact with individuals saying, okay, I'm going to issue a card for you. They go by the banks and they, they provide their, their cards to the, to the consumer. Very clear. Uh, you mentioned one thing earlier, but you want something that's just widely accepted, right? Like yeah. American Express in, in Europe is very under, I know because I used to have an American Express. They're, they're, it's mm-hmm. not very well accepted, especially in a lot of parts of Europe, which is interesting. Yeah. So. So that's, um, that, that's, I uh, think that's, that's a shocker, uh, especially when the name of the card is called American, right? And uh, you cannot use it in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true for sure. And I mean, I still believe some, some companies accept it, but it's actually a kind of a drawback. Some companies in Europe, typically the American ones, um, have this global policy ob- about credit cards program and they just say, okay, it's the same for the whole world. Uh, but indeed that raises this issue, right? Uh, even though there are other advantages coming with American Express. But as you mentioned, it all comes down to how easy will it be to use my credit cards and the payment network you choose. And that's going to be one of the major differentiators when we're going to come back to the corporate treasury aspects of it. It's like, it's major. Okay, I want my employees to be able to expense with the credit cards. What's the right choice? Depending on the region, typically. Mm. But there's also other differences, right? Like, Again, the reason that American Express, I remember speaking to some people about why do they not accept American Express and the business owners would always say the fees are higher, but obviously I don't pay a fee as a user. Yeah. Right. So Absolutely. that's a, that's a very good question, Sam. And that's gonna, I'm going to keep a little bit, uh, the secret here because we're going we're gonna to break it down in the corporate aspect, but with credit cards come a whole fee scheme that is rather complex, actually, because you have so many intermediaries um, like to process credit cards. And indeed, as an end-user individual, you do not see that directly. But the merchants mm-hmm. that accept those payment methods typically pay a fee based on how many transactions they collect via cards. And this is probably one of the worst payments in the eyes of a merchant because it's 
percentage-based. So whatever income you get, let's say you get $100,000 a year in business, if your credit cards collection providers like makes you pay 2% out of it, I mean, you, you do the math, it's, it's rather important. So indeed, for you and user, it's not really visible, but for the whole processing scheme and the merchant, it's quite significant. <laughs> so actually, I mean, maybe I'm jumping ahead, but then that... That's good. You know, the pros, we, we were talking earlier about the pros and cons of banknotes and the hassle and the costs associated with that. There's also a cost associated with just using the cards as a, as a company, right? So exactly. at some point, you probably need to weigh up the pros and cons. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's an interesting new matrix that um, we are encountering in this payments journey. For cash and checks collections, uh, every time we, we broke down the implication for corporate treasury, it basically comes down to, do I have a branch network wide enough with my banking partners mm -hmm. so I can deposit those checks and cash and potentially involve a third-party transporter? But that is it. With the debit and credit cards, there is another aspect that enters into it. It's like the third parties that are involved in the process, and there are quite a lot. And it's it's quite costly. So indeed, but we're going to come to it a little bit later on, I promise. <laughs> Very good to hear. So going back to the credit cards, I mean, I've also got like uh, different um, like rewards linked to my credit mm -hmm. card as well, like exactly. uh, air miles and cashback and hotel points. Yeah. Um, that's another difference, I guess. So it is absolutely. Um, so compared to the debit cards, first of all, and also between the different credit cards. So DUSA indeed we uh, refer to as rewards credit cards, and this is one of the major difference. So you have this, you you name them all, and you also have the aspect of the insurance uh, linked to the credit cards. The main ones being the travel insurance, obviously, and the fact that you're protected from road liability. This those two are, are really important. So as for an individual and for a company, actually, this can be of serious added value depending on the usage you do out of it, whether you like travel a lot to foreign countries and you want to be properly insured and so on. Those are definitely some considerations. And there are not typically different types of credit cards uh, when it comes to reward, but you might want to indeed look into that when you issue a new one. Yeah, I mean, I've, I mean, the the classic personal finance advice you get also is that you should always pay with your credit card, not with your debit card, because um, you build good credit, right? Uh, your credit exactly. score, your credit risk is mm -hmm. uh, proven more if you're using credit cards and paying it off. And also this insurance point, right? If, if there's a fraudulent transaction on your credit card, you're insured against it. Whereas on your debit card, the money just goes out of your account and you kind of just lose-lose. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. And so... Lately, um, it hasn't been that obvious because we were in a period of very low interest rates, if not negative. We have a whole episode dedicated to that. But so the interest of paying with the credit cards is that if you remain within the grace period, so where you do not pay interest out of the money you borrow, because that's what you do, you borrow money from the financial institution that issued the card. If you do that, well, you can still sit between, uh, between quotes on your own cash that you are not using to expense. So this cash can bring you and yield additional interest, right? If you are in a period where interest rates are typically 2 or 3%, well, if you invest them overnight or over the period of one month whilst using your credit cards or the money of somebody else to do your personal expenses, you earn money, basically. So on top of, indeed, credit, like building up your credit limit and your credit uh, scoring, 
you also earn money out of the credit card usage, not talking about all the rewards and the potential cashback you have out of it. So in the individual eyes, it can be very interesting to use credit cards. Now, you need to be very cautious of how much you use it. Always repay on time. And if one of the main benefits is to build up a good credit score, you also do not want to misuse it and build a bad credit score. Hmm. Very clear. Again, I've uh, taken plenty of personal finance advice out of this episode. Uh, but <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> so, Guillaume, we've talked about um, credit cards and the different types of credit cards and debit cards, right? And you basically explained, if I'm not wrong, that the main difference is really the providers uh, yes. between different types of credit cards, right? Debit cards are just money coming out of the bank account. Credit cards is you're uh, tapping into a line of credit, mm-hmm. um, a recurring one, right? A regenerative one. Exactly. Not like other forms of credit, like a mortgage, which is a one-time one. So that's that's sort of what they are. Now, mm-hmm. just like checks, like we did our episode with checks, I want to understand, when I pay with a credit card, mm-hmm. right, what actually happens in the background? So yeah. you know, someone comes to my coffee shop, for example, mm-hmm. and uh, they pay for their coffee with credit cards, which has got a lot of fees for me, but okay, I'm a nice... Uh, business owner i'm okay to take that from my customers so kind. um <laughs> what happens the moment that the payment is made to when the money arrives in my bank account Hussam, i'm very pleased you take the example of your cafes uh, this is exactly what i have in mind for a little bit later on and your question is actually pointing towards what's become super interesting uh, when we talk about credit card but also tricky so let's take the time to break everything down here and it indeed starts with networks. And here we typically talk about card networks or associations. And those are typically Visa, um, MasterCard, American Express, Discover. Those are the ones we talked about in the previous uh, section of this episode. Okay, so those are the networks. So we call them networks because they maintain um, an upgrade, obviously, networks of IT infrastructures, policies, servers, and so on. And this allows them to connect banks, merchants, such as the Hussam's Cafe, for instance, that want to be able to receive payments by cars, and people using the cards, the end users. So all those people are connected to each other payment-wise thanks to those networks. Okay, so the, the Visa, the MasterCard, the, the networks that connect all these different uh, nodes, right? these different parts of the transaction to each other yes right so what happens in the bank side of that transaction exactly so without any surprise we indeed have banks involved in this process um and we said it multiple times banks are at the center of treasury activities and this case is no exception so their role here and you might have noticed that when you open a bank account this one often comes with a debit card so you can easily use the money you have on your bank account well credit cards are obviously part of their offers or most of the banks as it is good business as we will see in a second okay so debit cards are when you directly take money out to the bank account the money that you have yes right and the credit card is the line of credit which is given to the person right the the person is given from the bank an allowance which they can spend the bank's money exactly a cash advance from the bank indeed okay and so this in itself is already money for the bank. Um, I really want to take the time to break everything down here. But So 
there is the cost of the card itself from the bank, right? So it's already good business. This rarely comes for free. I mean, it's rare to have Debit cards might be free sometimes, but credit cards often come with an annual yearly fee. And it typically ranges between 30 and 50 dollars or euros per year. But those are pocket money compared to the real deal. And we will come to it a little bit later on. Which I guess is the interest, right? That's what we use. So interest will be part of it as well. And there is something even bigger, but Hussam, I would like to keep a little bit of tension here. But indeed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then let's talk about costs because obviously the bank needs to be part of this network. Right? Yes. So when I go to my bank, uh, so if we take a bank, for example, an American bank like Chase, right? Yes. You go to the bank, you get your credit card, but the credit card is a MasterCard or an American Express or a Visa card, right? Yeah. So banks need to issue a card with a network. Yes. I guess. Exactly. And that could be any, actually, uh, of the ones we mentioned earlier. So you said MasterCard, there is also Visa, Discover, American Express. And to be noted that um, the two first, especially Visa and MasterCards, uh, also have other kinds of policies. You cannot jo just join the network as a bank. You need to fulfill a certain list of criteria. Let's not get into the details of that, but let's just say that the most renowned and popular banks usually are part of at least one of those, but very, very often both Visa and MasterCard uh, at the very least. And in certain parts of the world, such as North America, as you can imagine, American Express is very widely used uh, and discovered as well in certain regions. Okay, so the bank is part of the network. Yes. Um, they need to comply with the policies of the network to be able to issue a card on that network exactly what about the other side the end user are they part of this yeah. network very good so they are indeed yeah one of the main stakeholders obviously right they are the one using the the network in the first place um to make their payment so when you go to your bank saying i want a credit card let's say you get a visa like me um, and you become indirectly a stakeholder and member of that network because you're going to use either Visa, MasterCard, Amex, or Discover to make a large part of your payments, right? In your daily life, now, especially in Western societies, rarely use cash or checks. Uh, you most of the time use debit or credit cards when you go to a shop. Also, the bank that issues a credit card to an end user for him or her to use is called the issuing bank. I just want to emphasize on this um, name and title because that's something that is going to come back later on in this episode. Okay. And as an end user, we want to have that credit card. Why? Because of all the benefits we've already discussed, right? In the previous episode, we yes. said you're using their money, not your own. You build your credit score, these kind of things. Exactly. Right? But, but what's the end user's participation in the network? So to understand properly how it works, let's say that I have my credit card and I told you about it earlier. It's perfect that you point out the example of Usam's Cafe because let's say I want to go to your cafe and enjoy a delicious flat white with, of course, the best pain au chocolat in the world. What do you of think course. of that? Because of my French partner that's making them, yes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. In the kitchen in the morning. And, and so... For the sake of the example, you're coming in and you will pay with your Visa card, for example, that you mentioned, right? And yes. I accept that payment. Then what happens? Absolutely. Perfect. So we aligned on uh, the means of payments. And let's say I came with all my friends and uh, bought for 100 euros worth of coffee, pain au chocolat, and those very expensive but yet delicious cookies of yours. So 
it starts to make it interesting for you as well, right? To make my credit card payments. You just don't want to say, okay, no, please pay me by cash. It starts to be a rather large amount of money. Uh, you want to make sales as much as possible uh, of 100 euros and more. So it's win-win. I'm using my credit card. You accept credit cards. That's perfect. So the question is, how can you accept such payments, right? Um, you will obviously not be able to just take my credit card in your hand and say, okay, now the, your money is on my bank account. So you need some sort of terminal or point of sale, we call it, in order to accept it. And this is one of the requirements in order to receive credit card payments, a piece of hardware or software and software, actually, that will allow you to collect payments via credit cards. Everybody might have an idea of what it looks like. This is what most merchants hand over to you. Um, so you can insert your credit card and type in your PIN code. Um, this added to the checkout, it is all linked and allows a merchant to acquire credit card payments. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I need a, a card machine, basically. Exactly, yeah. Right, so I need a card machine in my cafe to be able to accept your card payment. Yes. Um, and that card machine needs to be connected to my bank, right? My, my cafe's business account. Exactly. Um, what happens if that account is on a different network like MasterCard, though? So if your machine is only on the MasterCard network and I only have a Visa card, the two won't work together. So your machine and ultimately your bank needs to be on the same network as my bank and my credit card, which is why we were talking about networks, right? They all need to be interconnected. As highlighted before, most of the banks today and so merchants consequently will have the capacity to accept both Visa and MasterCard. But for instance, not all of them, especially in Europe, uh, will be able to accept American Express because this is really a specificity from the US that is used worldwide, but still less than Visa and MasterCard. So we, in the case of your cafe, uh, your bank needs to be part of the Visa network, and it is the case for the sake of the example, of course. Otherwise, my bank and your bank wouldn't be able to communicate. And in the case of your cafe, the business accepting credit card payments, the jargon uh, for your bank is the merchant bank. You know, we were talking about the issuing bank earlier, the one that issues the credit card for me. Your bank, as it allows you to accept credit card payment, is the merchant bank, or more precisely in credit card lingo, the acquirer bank. And that is it. We covered the most important stakeholder of the network. Okay, so basically, for you to, uh, you have a, you have a credit card with a bank, um, which is on the Visa network. Yes. Me as a merchant, I need to have a point of sale, like a card machine mm -hmm. uh, and software behind that, which needs to be on the same network as yours. There's no like intercompatibility thing here. It's not like if I'm on Master, that's somehow compatible with Visa. Mm -hmm. I need to have your network available. So exa for example, in Belgium, right, where we uh, we're from yeah yeah um they maestro is really big there right absolutely it's like exactly. a local network it's a very like belgian network i think a exactly. dutch network yeah if i'm not on the maestro network i can't accept any cards issued by maestro so we don't exactly. want too many networks i guess out there right we want this is a very good point yeah so you want in an ideal world one network that everybody will use that will make it much simpler right but obviously, and we're going to come to it, but Visa and MasterCard do not do this for free. There is a cost embedded to it. And it's important to have competition and different type of networks. And on top of that, 
let's say your network, you develop your business, you allow payments and collections in certain part of the world, but in another world, you cannot let these people not being able to handle car payments. So another network in the name of, I'm saying something, Discover, for instance, starts its own business and allow credit card collections like this. But so ideally, yes, you only want one network, but in reality, it's much more complex. So we talked about the four main, Visa, MasterCard, American Express, and Discover. But, and your example is spot on with Maestro. This is a rather smaller network, but yet still widely used. We can think about Bank Contact as well. Bank Contact is really Belgium native and Netherlands and Luxembourg a little bit, but that's it. So we, you will have worldwide uh, some small networks that are having a business as well. But we are taking the example of Visa and MasterCard because this is something everybody will be able to relate to. And they're also the most developed and the bigger. That's that's why. Talk us to the practicalities, Guillaume. So when you come in, you make the payment with your card. What exactly happens? Like step by step. Yeah. So we remember we have in total five stakeholders, right? We have me who have credit cards, my bank, the issue bank that's issued the credit card. All this is connected to the Visa network. So that's the third stakeholder. Um, your bank, so the acquiring bank, is also connected to that network and yourself, obviously. So five stakeholders. Now, the first thing that will happen is actually what we call the authorization. It is simply the process of checking whether I can afford those 100 euros worth of cookies and cafe, uh, and coffee, sorry, at your cafe. Now that we all have all our stakeholders in mind, here is what happens. I swap my cards in your point of sales. A message, electronical of course, is sent to the acquiring bank, your cafe's bank. This message basically says, hey, does Guillaume have 100 euros available right now? Since your bank has absolutely no clue whether I do have the money or not, it transmits the message to the Visa network that in turn will send it to my bank, the issuing bank. And all this happens in a matter of seconds. Okay. So the message is uh, arrived. It's at your bank. Yeah. Right. Your bank then needs to say back again that yes, the money is available, right? Exactly. And then so it will send the money. Exactly. So especially in that order, indeed. In case of credit cards, what my bank, the issuing bank will do is check the credit limit that I have. It actually doesn't really look at my own money, my money on my bank account. Well, if it issued a credit card for me, it knows that most of the time I will have money on my bank account that will be able to repay for my credit balance. But at that moment in time, when they receive the message, they do not check my bank balance. They check my credit limit. And if there is more than 100 euros available, then it will indeed confirm that I can pay. Then my bank indeed authorize the transaction. The message goes back, Visa, through your bank, to arrive to your terminal. And this is when the little message that we all know displays, authorized. And then the money gets transferred. Absolutely. And obviously, you who Sam's Cafe, and I'm sorry about that, you haven't received the 100 euros yet. Um, and whilst I drink my coffees and the, the authorization did happen. So there is a little bit of delay here. And actually, you won't receive a complete 100 euros. What happens is that my bank will take 100 euros out of my credit limit and send the money. But as we just discussed, there are quite some third parties involved in the process and all this has a cost to some. And banks taking their fees as always. This <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Big, bad banks. And this is exactly what we're going to break down. 
All right, so now everybody is going to take um, the pieces from this 100 euros that I'm meant to be owed, right? So now, who are these third parties? What's happening? Who's taking what, Guillaume? So everybody, indeed, will take a cut. And somehow, it makes a little bit of sense, right? Let's start with the issuing bank, my bank. They provide credit to me, uh, plus a whole bunch of services, such as a hotline in case I have problems with my credit card and so on. Then there is the networks. Uh, in my case, it is Visa. And well, they give all of us the possibility to use their network in order to proceed with our payments and in your case, collections. Plus, they also offer some securities often, such as insurances linked to the credit cards, fraud prevention solutions, and so on. And last but not least, the third party that is involved is the acquiring bank, your bank, Hussam. They provide you with the point of sales and the terminal, and they eventually allow you to get paid by your customers, right? Or at least via this tool, which is rather valuable for your business. Okay, so this is starting to add up. It sounds like <laughs> it's starting to get quite expensive. A lot of people taking cuts. Exactly. Um, credit card is a very expensive mean of payment, especially for the people receiving them. So it will obviously depend on many criteria. But the most important thing to remember is that it is percentage based. And for the sake of simplicity, let's, take, let's say that um, here in our case, it will be 2%, which is actually not too far from reality. So out of those 100 euros you are meant to receive, you actually need to pay 2 euros to be shared by all the stakeholders. And these two euros, the 2%, is what we call the discount rates in credit card jargon. Who makes the most out of the transaction, out of interest of all these stakeholders? Yeah, and this is the interesting piece, actually. The biggest um, piece of the cake actually goes to the issuing bank. So my bank, the one that issued the credit card. And out of those two euros, they will take something in the range of 1.70 euro. So more than 80% of the transaction. So your bank, because they gave you a credit card, they get paid out of my pocket, the cafe. Exactly. My bank is allowing me to make payments, but ultimately, right, in a perceived value, let's say, it's much more valuable for your bank because, yeah, I can make payments. Woohoo, amazing. I can lose money or I can spend my money, but you can receive money. So you're the we can say, ultimate beneficiary of all this because you're the one that gets paid, in the end, the biggest piece of the cake. You get paid 98% of the transaction. But yes, indeed, um, you're basically paying uh, for me to be able to pay you. And this is, this is actually crazy. Um, this, is actually, this is called the interchange fee. And it represents the fee that the merchant bank pays to the issuing bank for accepting, processing, and authorizing car transactions. Because in the end... Visa and the acquiring bank are only channels here. The real bank doing the job, doing the work, if we could say, is my bank because they check that my credit card and uh, my credit limits are aligned with the payments I'm making. Uh, they, in the first place, issue the credit card for me, are having a bank account maintenance with me. I mean, they have all these things in place that allow me to pay you. So in a certain way, it makes sense, but it's, to my eyes, very expensive nonetheless. But like the network is doing most of the work. No, that's the part that's connecting everything together. And obviously the acquiring bank yeah. does get paid as well. So they're also making the request and everything, right? You said. I agree. Uh, they are important. I mean, not even important pieces of the, of the transaction. They are critical because if only one of them is not here, well, you cannot accept payment. So this doesn't happen. I'm keeping my money on my bank account. It doesn't circulate in the economy and so on and so on. So the interchange fee is actually meant to cover the handling costs. So like frauds, 
bad debt costs and the risk involved in approving the payment, which is why when it comes to risk, this is where the money is and the risk taker in this whole scheme is my bank, so to say. Whilst the other stakeholders are only transmitting a message or receiving money, uh, more or less. And the funny thing is, the issuing bank do not actually get to decide what the interchange fee is. It's not even my bank that tells your bank, okay, you pay me that much. This is completely determined and at the end of the card payment network. So Visa, MasterCard, and so on. They set it and do not change it, actually. It's, it is that much, and the acquired bank will have to pay that much to the issuing bank, period. We said of the 2% fee, 1.7% goes to the issuing bank. Yes. How much does the network get out of the remaining 30 cents? Yeah, so we are left indeed with 30. And uh, the share of Visa, in this typical case, would usually be something in the lines of 10 cents. And yes, they are the one enabling all this, but taking the smallest cost. How come? How come they get the least? If they're the, without them, it would work? So here, the explanations differ a bit, uh, depending on where you look at. But um, my interpretation is that uh, they benefited from all the transactions, first of all. So all the transactions that are processed through their networks, and we talk about dozens of billions of transactions every year, they take a little cut out of it. So they are the enabler, but they are also, as long as you use a Visa card, they are part of all the transactions. So they take a smaller cut, but they are part of all of them. Also, as a payment network, you want as many people uh, to use your network, right? The more people you have on your network, the more revenue you make. And therefore, boosting the number of transactions you process and ultimately your revenue, your revenue, sorry, is quite the smart thing to do. In order to do so, you need to incentivize people to use your credit cards. From an end-user perspective, that's with all the benefits, the different advantages, the cashback, the securities, the insurances that are linked to your credit card, so you want to use it. And also, you're not using your money directly. But remunerating well those enablers, the issuing bank, is quite the smart thing to do. Look, propose to your customers my credit card, and I will give you 1.70% of all the transactions that pass by my network. Does that sound like an interesting thing to do? Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. So the remaining 10 cents goes to the to the other bank, the acquiring bank? So the remaining, sorry, my, my bad, the remaining 20 cents, actually. The Visa network will take 10 mm. cents out of all this, mm -hmm. and the acquiring bank will take 20. So the acquiring has a bigger cut, let's say, than the network itself, indeed. Because they also need to be part of the network, right? They also need to be able to uh, exactly. receive the messages from the network and everything like that. Exactly. And so this is only the fee they take out of your um, transaction, but they will also usually charge the merchant for uh, the rent or the leasing of the terminal. And they also have all those associated services, financial services that they provide to the Hussam's Cafe. So they are making side collateral, let's say, business, thanks to the fact that they enable you to receive credit card payments. So they take a small cut out of this transaction, but there are other fees that surround the whole offer. Okay. And that, so that's credit cards. How does that differ for debit cards out of interest? Yeah, absolutely. So debit cards, it will be exactly the same, um, except there is no concept of credit limit. So when authorizing, the only difference is the issuing bank actually checks your bank account balance and not your credit limit and says, okay, Guillaume has the money. He can place those 100 euros worth of coffee, cookies, and pain chocolat. You can go ahead and then the transmission of the money will follow. The fee is around the same, still the 2 percentage, or Absolutely. Yeah, there is also this interchange fee. Uh, plus the cut of each and every stakeholders. And this is actually the most, I mean, to me, funny part, because 
there is this 2% fee. But on top of that, my bank, the insurance bank, is charging me for the credit card, is charging me for the credit limit. And if I don't repay on time, they will charge me even more. So this is a very, very juicy business for banks. Credit card. With credit card. Credit card. Yeah, and debit card, it will only be bank account balance. So there is less money out of the credit cards for the issuing bank itself. Very clear. Thank you. All right, Graham. So you took us through uh, what debit cards and credit cards are, um, the different, uh, what you called stakeholders, different parties involved in the transaction and who gets a cut of what and what each person is doing. Mm-hmm. Um, tie all this back to corporate treasury. What, how does this implicate corporate treasury exactly? So we often start this section, the implication for corporate treasury, by tackling obvious points. Um, The fact that big companies and so corporate treasury departments rarely do pay their suppliers, employees, and so on via credit cards. We said the same for the checks, and we said the same for uh, physical cash. So the implications for corporate treasury here are mostly linked to collections. Okay, but if you're a... B2C company getting paid uh, by customers in credit cards, B2B probably less, maybe it's a bit more bank transfers, but uh, could be as well. Uh, exactly. But I mean, I've had in the past corporate cards, for example, so corporate credit cards. As an employee, you um, mean? As an employee, yeah, yeah. For, issued by my companies for my travel expenses and whatnot. And that, that, that's an implication for the treasurer, right? Indeed, um, and that is very spot on, but that's that's something else. So it's indeed credit cards. Um, yeah, so companies do not pay their different business partners via credit card payments. They will rather choose more electronic or electronic forms of payments. However, it is quite handy as an employee who travels a lot to indeed have a credit card and that is managed by the company and using the company's money, which should be the case, right? You're traveling for business, so your company is paying every expenses related to it. However, those are called credit cards program, and this is something that is made available for the employees, but this is not the company directly paying its stakeholders via credit cards. So what I propose is that we don't cover them in this episode. Uh, this is, again, something just different, but we can definitely bear it in mind for another. Okay, the classic Guillaume line for another <laughs> When I do not know how to answer, this is another episode. <laughs> okay, so what about collections then? There must be a lot of implications for collections. We talked about cash, right? Yeah. Uh, as a company that you're someone that's collecting cash, it's actually a lot of um, implications. Your bank network needs to be um, as broad as your branch network as well, etc. Tell us about uh, the implications in treasury. Yeah, uh, for a company that's collecting payments in for me as a as a, a cafe, Absolutely. what implications are you taking into account? That's the perfect example, and it actually is gonna sound familiar, Hussam. Um, but we are talking here mostly about retail businesses such as your cafe, indeed. As explained, uh, when doing business between each other, companies rarely choose to pay via credit card because, first of all, uh, the cost is rather high, as we saw, and because it's actually not convenient at all when you pay from one shared service center from one head office to another, you don't want to go physically to the other person's business and pay them. However, in retail, um, and in the case of your cafe, when you sell to consumers, you need to be able to accept credit cards. That's that's a given. And as this is for now, uh, the most widely used form of payments. So indeed, it's exactly like cash. So the main question is how to collect debit and credit card payments in the most efficient way. As a corporate treasurer, your implication here is for you to select a banking partner that is member of as many networks as possible in the first place. 
your banking uh, partnerships and relationships. Well, one of the fundamentals of corporate treasury as highlighted in our ebook. Exactly. Uh, oh my it? God. Serious <laughs> position. Absolutely. Yeah, Make sure you download our ebook, guys, corporate treasure one on one.com. But um but as part of like what you always say, Guillaume, like you need to negotiate those fees, I guess, right? The bigger you are, the more scale you have, you can negotiate those fees um up or down, right? Precisely. I guess. Yeah, agreed. Uh, that's it. And it's pretty much all comes to selecting the right banking partner because you want a not to pay too much for your collection means, but also have as many payment networks uh, available as possible for you to collect money from your customers. So that's what you need to bear in mind. Collecting money from as many network scales as possible whilst bearing in mind, for instance, local specificities. Uh, you just mentioned Maestro earlier. Maestro is quite used in certain countries. Uh, bank contact is another, such as uh, Belgium, for instance, and the Netherlands. You use quite a lot this network. So as a corporate treasurer, when you select a banking partner, you pay attention to what payment networks they are a member of, how they enable you to collect card payments. So you need a point of sale, uh, potentially a cashier, a checkout, uh, and something that allows you to read credit card payments and the fees, obviously. You mentioned earlier about the point of sale, right? The card machine. Do banks make card machines? Are they the ones making it or is that like a third party involved? Yeah, that is a very good question. So certain banks do. The biggest often propose it, obviously. Some others don't, but use third-party partners, which will also take an additional fee in all this. So that's a very spot on again, because when you select a banking partner, you want to make sure that they have a native in-house solution for credit card collections, for instance, and do not require an additional third party that, I mean, we just talked about it, right? There are quite some already involved and they all take quite a rather large fee out of the coffees you sell. Sam. So you want to pay attention to this. But if your company is big enough anyways uh, to have a corporate treasury department, it is very likely that the types of banking partners you are dealing with propose some solutions for credit cards acquiring. Mm. These, these fees are really like, it's like taxes almost, right? No one wants to pay them. <laughs> That's literally, it's, it's a percentage of what you earn. That's The parallel is perfect, indeed. And so in the end, compared to the two other payment types we talked about so far, so cash and checks in our payments uh, stories journey, Credit cards are obviously the much more convenient, but also the more expensive since they are percentage-based. And this, just a little um, anecdote on this, percentage-based is what you tend and try av- as much as possible to avoid as a corporate treasurer because you don't have any control of it. Like no matter how much revenue you will make, you will always pay more depending on your, ver- your, ver- your revenue. Sorry. Whereas if you choose a means of payments or collection that makes you pay a unique and unit fee, then it's much more interesting for you. However, they are so widely used today, the credit cards, that a B2C business cannot circumvent them. That's how it is. So you would negotiate these fees whilst you're selecting your banking partner, right? Yeah, and obviously, the bigger your business, uh, the better the conditions you're likely to get. So the bigger you make your RFP or your selection of banking partners, the better condition you might have. But this is indeed something you should challenge your banks on, also on a regular basis, since it represents quite some money at the end of the year. Thank you very much, Kian. Thank you, Sam.